maybe we're just a little too biased in thinking our paradigms can't change. And now we have flipped our paradigms. We're experiencing the most disruptive time in the history of healthcare. With this podcast, I'm going to connect you with industry and CRNA thought leaders to help you thrive in these unprecedented times. I'm your host, Randy Moore, CEO of the AANA, and this is Moving the Needle. Today, joining us on Move the Needle is Deborah Bowen, who's the President and Chief Executive Officer of the American College of Healthcare Executives. Uh, ACHE, which I'm a member of, is an international professional society of more than 48,000 healthcare executives who lead hospitals, health systems, and other healthcare organizations. Uh, before her appointment as president and CEO, uh, Ms. Bowen served as executive vice president and chief operating officer from 2003 to 2013 and as vice president of administration from 1994 to 2000. Deborah has extensive experience uh, in leadership, uh, volunteer, uh, and executive leadership in multiple organizations in healthcare and healthcare-related associations. Uh, she serves on the board of the Institute of, for Diversity and Health Equity, uh, which is an affiliate of the American Hospital Association. She's president-designate of the International Hospital Federation Governing Council. Uh, previously, she served as chair of the boards of the Association Forum for Chicagoland, the Commission on Accreditation of Healthcare Management Education, and the Malcolm Baldridge National Quality Award Board of Directors. Since becoming president and CEO of ACHE, Deborah has been recognized by Modern Healthcare as one of the top 100 most influential people in healthcare and one of the top 25 women in healthcare. Ms. Bowen receives a received a master's degree in business administration from Loyola University, a master's degree in science from the University of Wisconsin. She holds a bachelor's degree in psychology from Illinois State University and completed an executive program in healthcare management at The Ohio State University. All right, Deborah, thank you so much for joining us on Moving the Needle. I have been looking forward to this conversation for some time now. I've had the pleasure to get to know you a little bit better over the last few years uh, at, and uh, the important work that you are doing at the American College of Healthcare executives is, uh, I guess, even more important now than ever, <laughs> considering what's happening in the healthcare ecosystem and, and the amount of disruption that we're all, we're all experiencing. But I can't imagine, uh, you know, the, the work that you and your board are doing right now to, to, to navigate through what is got to be a, a really challenging time uh, for everybody, but certainly for healthcare leaders. Yeah. I, well, Randy, and first of all, thank you for having me today. Uh, and thank you to all of your members and leaders. Uh, I think I think none of us in the healthcare industry are insulated from the pandemic, and certainly mm -hmm. your folks are on the front line, uh, you know, in a different way than, than my folks are. But, but we're all in this together, and uh, it will require all of us to navigate through it. So I appreciate the time with you today. Yeah, well, thank you. And, and our, our members appreciate your expertise and your time, too. And increasingly, I'll say that more and more of our members are, are, are moving into healthcare leadership positions. And I'd like to discuss that with you a little bit later on, and maybe in the interview. And, and invariably, as I because I'm a longtime member of uh, ACHE, I always say you need to become a member of ACHE because the work that you and your team are, are doing is exceptional around leadership yeah, and, very, and, very and supporting healthcare well, leaders. Hopefully we can explore that more yeah. uh, later on. So I look forward to that. Sure. So let's get right into, I mean, we, we've kind of talked 
around it a little bit, but we talk about disruption. And you know, in the and you know, before COVID nineteen, healthcare was experiencing a lot of change, right? And then, and then we get hit in the face here, get punched in the mouth by COVID nineteen. And I'm curious what what you're seeing from your members and from uh, for, and from your board members in terms of what's it like right now? Still, you know, we're still much, I think, very much within the grips of this thing. What's it like to lead hospitals and health systems in this environment? Well, I think today people are still going through it. You are correct. Uh, we're, you know, whether it's Michigan or other parts of the country, uh, people people are still taking care of patients uh, with COVID. And I think obviously that's a concern that, that we want to help mitigate uh, going forward. You know, when I think about where we started a year ago and where we are today, there, there are some similar themes but I also think some of the same things that were true before the pandemic are true today. So a year ago, our members, probably like a lot of yours, were heads down. And to be honest, you know, I couldn't get anybody on the phone. No one wanted to talk to me. Nobody could talk to me because they were so embedded in caring for patients and trying to understand how to prepare. My chairman last year happened to be uh, in New York, and he happened to have one of the first cases in New York. So he was truly dealing with this uh, in February. So, you know, the pandemic brought about its own challenges, right, that I think, and it showed us perhaps some gaps in some of the things that we need to shore up perhaps uh, now. And, and I heard one leader say, we just recently had our Congress on Healthcare Leadership, and I heard one leader describe those challenges as space staff and stuff, which which may seem like an oversimplification given all the losses that we've experienced, but I think there's a lot of truth to that. So we've learned some different things, right? We've learned differently about supply chain management. We've learned the tremendous role and resilience of our workforce, but we've also learned that we need to make sure safety is still job number one and that we're taking care of people in a way that, that helps them remain resilient and able to take care of patients today and patients tomorrow. And, and we're learning a lot about space, right? Lots of people have optimized remote in new mm-hmm. ways, et cetera. We may not need the brick and mortars that, that we think uh, we used to, and we may be doing most of our healthcare on our iPhones or Androids. So clearly a lot a lot has, has changed. The things that have remained true, I think, and we do surveys uh, probably just like you do, uh, what does what keeps CEOs up at night? Uh, and financial challenges is always uh, job number one. And it, it's not to say that it's all about revenue, but you know, if you don't have a margin, you can't keep your doors open. And if you can't keep your doors open, then you can't serve patients and you can't serve the communities. And many of the communities, whether they be rural or an inner city across the country, are facing enormous challenges, not only because of the aging of population, but because of the changing payer mix. You know, we have more people unemployed. That's concerning. That's uh, rising levels of bad debt. Uh, and the cost of supplies is going up. So you know, that's a tsunami of financial challenges that healthcare leaders have to face. So I think those kinds of things uh, will remain true uh, for some time to come. And certainly there are other challenges we can talk about relative to care delivery and how that how that uh, gets delivered. And again, things like personnel shortages, right? I think that's very top of mind for all of us as we think about not only the burnout that's going on, uh, but the influx of patients we still have to care for. So, you know, there's a a lot of places we could go with that, Randy, but I would say uh, in a snapshot that that those are some of the things that, that are top of mind for me. Yeah. 
Well, I've heard it said before. I'm sure you've heard this too. There, there's no mission without margin. And, 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 and I would like, love to double click on that a little bit, Deborah, because I've done all, you know, we do a lot of thinking here at the ANA about, well, what's healthcare going to look like in the future? And obviously the, you know, the, the, the major drivers and there's more, but I mean, talk, you know, access and quality, but, but economics is driving so much of what's going on uh, in the way that things changing. Where, where do you see, how do you see this playing out? You know, the, 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 the shrinking pie of reimbursement, the, 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 the margins getting squeezed before COVID, but now after COVID, I'm sure it's got to be just as more difficult. How are your leaders responding uh, to, to maintain long-term financial I think, strength? I think the um, value imperative that was so prominent in our discussions a few years ago mm. is, is still very present. I mean, we might have we might have gotten a little distracted, if you will, uh, with the pandemic and, and perhaps surprised by that in terms of its magnitude a little bit. But I think the value imperative is, is still very top of mind for people. You know, it's not only about cost uh, and quality and access, but it's about how we do that cost effectively. Um, and, and that means a lot of different kinds of things not only better sourcing and better optimization of how we use supplies, but how do we choose our technology? You know, do we need all the things that, that we really have? You know, I know a lot of organizations use clinical preference committees to try and understand how to single source, um, you know, what the best sort of ideal is instead of making everything available. So, I, you know, there's some critical decisions, I think, that have to be made um, on the value curve and on the value imperative. But I think scale and structure are also top of mind. And I think it's fair to say we'll probably see more consolidation in some way, shape, or form. Because certainly, you know, with the influx of telehealth, telehealth is not going away. In fact, you know, this notion of consumer care is going to require more and more of our investments, right? So this notion of how you manage your assets and, you know, how much of it can we invest in technology will probably uh, lead organizations to some other kinds of decisions about partnerships, about consolidations, about mergers, about how they organize the uh, structural dimensions of organizations. And I, I think that's that's a very real uh, issue as well. Yeah. And, and what I think I'm hearing from you is that the, the consolidation, the merger and acquisition activity that which, uh, was existing before COVID-19, it continues. Uh, you, you think you're going to see that continue. They're gonna, you're going to see more consolidation, more folks looking for economy of scale, trying to streamline, you know, the back, you know, the, you know I guess 30% of all expenses are related to administration and, 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 and looking for ways, because I, I think expenses right now, looking at, you know, cost exposure is, is, is one of the top priorities. Well, I, you know, yeah, I think a couple of things. I mean, what what boards decide to do with their organizations mm-hmm. is certainly, uh, obviously, decision in their hands. And, and there's a lot of factors that go into those decisions, you know, including the cultivation of services within the community. But I think I think there's a another theme that's relevant here. And it's this notion about optimizing sites of service, right? We, we know that that not all the care uh, should be done in the four walls of the hospital or can be done effectively in the four walls of the hospital. So then the question becomes, well, what does an integrated care delivery system look like in the future, right? Maybe maybe there are other kinds of partnerships, be it with public health, be it with community health centers that will emerge as a result. So, so there's lots of ways to think about organizations and what they're doing and how they're doing it. And, and I, you know, joint ventures are another 
structural lever that organizations have available to them. You know, I think they're just going to have to be very strategic about how they look to that because where we started this conversation was what uh, was with what are the financial challenges and you know those things like reimbursement uh you know medicaid state strapped organizations that may not be able to fund you know medicaid at the same rate you know the rising bed debt the the revenue losses all of those things are are realities that organizations are going to have to face going forward right have decisions to make potentially, but then again, some some will be fine. Some have navigated very well, uh, and some uh, are using their partnerships and a lot of other creative strategies uh, to continue to take care of patients. What do you see from the, the the hospitals and health systems that are surviving or even thriving? What are they doing well? What are their what kind of strategic moves are their leaders making? Well, I think I think a lot of the bigger systems now. You know, this is not a scientific study, but you know, what I what I hear from my board members is, you know, they might have had thirty initiatives before the pandemic, and now they've streamlined it to six, right, mm. or even three. So I think people are realizing that you have to be more strategic and make make better choices about where those investments go. And I think largely those things are obviously in workforce, as we've already talked about. If you don't have the people to do the work and take care of patients, um, then you can't deliver on the promise of healthcare. But I think being more discerning about how we use our clinical staff is also important, right? You may not need physicians to do everything. You may need advanced practice nurses. You may you know, have other things a nurse anesthetists can do. I mean, there, there's a whole variety of things there. So I think they're being more discerning about that. I think they're also investing in mobile first strategies, right? Digital, remote home. How do we make the care more cost effective at the point of care? So I think they're doing strategies like that. And certainly I don't think they're dialing back on their investments, but I think they're understanding that some of the things we took for granted, like everybody coming to work every day, you know, may maybe those paradigms are not serving us well, right? And mm-hmm. maybe too costly uh, for us to continue to do so. And, and, and maybe we're doing just fine without some of that. Now, that's not true for everybody, but it is true for some of the dimensions of the work that gets done. Yeah. Well, there's two things there that, that, that you know, if I call out for, for our audience here that I'm sure piqued their interest. I mean, all of it's fascinating, but there's some elements that I think uh, we're seeing here at the ANA, which is a real, I think, acceleration in the utilization of non-physician advanced practice providers, including nurse anesthetists at the top of their education and training and licensure. And, and we think that that's, that, that trend is not only going to accelerate, but it's, it, it's, I think it's, it's the future <laughs> uh, considering, you know, the, the challenges with, with, with economic, with economics and reimbursement. The other thing that we're seeing, and I'm curious to hear your opinion on this, Deborah, is this concept of joint ventures seems to be getting really taking root, particularly as we see, these, uh, the, you know, the surgical care affiliates and other ambulatory surgery centers, uh, companies that are, that are going after hospital market share in the outpatient surgery environment. Where and, and we know that the, the operating room is typically the economic engine of these hospitals. And I, what I, I'm curious is, are you starting to hear from your members, from your leaders, this, this a concern or maybe a reconsideration of their strategy about how you know, the primary care, the urgent care, the outpatient surgical care all seem to be uh, areas where there's growth in the outpatients uh, environment. I, are, are you hearing well, that? Seeing that you know, my, my leaders don't really talk about it like that. I mean, they've got a lot of levers available to them mm-hmm. and these are sweet, 
C-suite people, right? People in the boardrooms. So every, every decision, I think, is a combination of impacts, right? What are the benefits and what are the impacts? Uh, and I think joint ventures are one lever and ambulatory care is certainly an area of focus, an important area of focus. Diagnostic, uh, you know, sort of laboratories and that sort of thing are, are two. But, but there's also other management contracts, you know, private equity, mergers and acquisitions. So, you know, it isn't really my place to comment on what, you know, is right or wrong. It's really a series of things that every organization has to judge for themselves if they're right. And, and do they want to move forward with them, right? There, there's never easy answers to these things. These are complex corporate um, and, and not corporate decisions being made, at, you know, with a lot of analysis and a lot of thought. Um, and, and nothing really is, you know, everything has to be balanced. Yeah. Tell me about what you're seeing in, in a space where clinicians, nurses and physicians are now moved, not now, they have been, they've been important parts of leadership for a while, but uh, are, are you seeing more and more clinicians being developed with intentionality to be executive leaders in oh, hospitals and health systems? Definitely. I mean, I think, it, you know, and the, this was true even before the pandemic. I, I think we've known for some time that our field will benefit with, you know, ad, ad administrators who are really in the lane and grew up as executives through Masters in Health Services Administration, you know, that that's what they wanted to do was manage organizations or manage people in organizations. I think those individuals have always realized they need more clinical expertise. Um, and you emergence of dyad partnerships, even triad partnerships where nurses, physicians, uh, and administrators are working together to leverage their individual and collective expertise. But but I I also think, I mean, physicians um, and nurses have actually always been present in ACHE. We've always had a lot of nurses um, in the ranks. And, and I think the, the nature of nursing um, and the teaming of, uh, of nursing has really brought nurses into to leadership more. Um, I think physicians are newer to those roles, not necessarily the ones who are running, probably your members, you know, running anesthesiology um, departments or radiology departments. Those people have been in management for some time. But this notion of really developing clinical leaders is a newer trend, maybe in the last five years, 10 years, you know, in our field that I think is really, really important. Physicians actually happen to be our fastest growing segment of membership. Wow. And a lot of organizations are looking to develop this culture of and, right? I mean, I think one thing we know about about healthcare is the interprofessional nature of it is very, very important. We all have to understand how to work together. We are, you know, no one does this work alone. It is a team-based sport. It is a relationship-based sport. And the, and the more you can navigate in that arena, I think the, the better off you're going to be and the more effective, uh, whether you choose to stay in a clinical role or whether you choose to move on to a leadership role. But I think there are lots of opportunities for clinical leaders. And, and I don't mean, I mean, it's not just really about aspiring to the role of a CEO or a CMO or a CNO or whatever, whatever the latest C-suite definition is. You know, leadership is happening in all levels. You don't have to have a formal title to be a leader. Uh, and I believe that and I see that in my members. Um, and, and I hope everybody listening to this today uh, takes that 
page out of their own book and, and reminds themselves uh, to raise their hand when they when they want to and when they need to, because that's really what leadership is about. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's said really well. If, if, if you were talking to someone asked you, you know, it's a, you know, a nurse or a physician who's like, and said, I'm interested in, in, in having a broader impact in healthcare delivery in my facility. Where, where, where would you, where would you, where would you steer them? Where, what would you recommend that they well, do? Well, I do think in some cases, depending on the organization and depending on the opportunities, I think there are lots of improvement teams that, that, you know, people who are trying to re-engineer or solve for different problems with organiz- you know, within an organization. I would definitely raise my hand for one of those. I, you know, I would, I would talk to the people who are doing those roles and ask them what they did to get there. I think networking is a very important part of any leader's journey. But it also requires, if you're going to be a leader, if you really decide this is what I want to do, I think it does require also a little uh, self-assessment too in terms of what are you good at, what are you not good at, what do you need development uh, around and then going out and getting that um, you know leader leadership is is a different animal a little bit in the sense that of the technical fields it's part art and it's part science right I mean people actually don't usually get fired because they don't know how to do an excel spreadsheet <laughs> they get fired because of their uh, relationship management right people lose confidence in them they don't trust them they don't you know, feel that they're um, have the right sort of DNA, if you will, and and it's those things, the softer skills, that really come with experience, I think. But but you know, having more exposure to that, more awareness to that, is clearly a good step forward. Yeah, that's 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 really a great point, Deborah. That's one of the things that you know when I talk to you know leaders, maybe who are earlier in their career, or aspiring leaders, I always tell them that the soft stuff is the hard stuff, and and it, it it's the differentiator in my mind. I think people who who with intentionality develop self awareness, and I get it's kind of a buzz term, uh, and everybody's talking about self awareness and emotional intelligence and all of that stuff. There's a reason why that's a popular topic is because it's in short supply in in, in so many areas in 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 leadership, not just healthcare. And I, I, I agree with you. I, I think that it is imperative uh, to have a high degree of, of self-awareness, to have a high degree of understanding how to communicate with people. Uh, and, and not all clinicians are great at that, believe that or not. And, oh, and the other... Not it either. I mean, you yeah. know, that, that's, that's, that's true too. Yeah, yeah. But there's also, you know, look, I, I, I have to plug ACHE at least one more time. And, and, and there's also the, the hard stuff, like the credentials, uh, where, you know, having a, you know, having a credential like the, you know, being a fellow of the American College of Healthcare Executives uh, is, is, is a door opener uh, or accelerator sometimes. If, if you get the other stuff right, it certainly positions you well. Tell me a little bit about where, where you see the, how ACHE is now and in the future positioning the development of future leaders in healthcare. Well, uh, I think one thing the pandemic has also shown us uh, that there are good leaders out there, there are great leaders out there, and there are some that perhaps need some development, right? Mm. So I I would say that uh, ACHE is probably stronger than ever, and a lot of that is because people had a bird's eye view to see people in a totally different extremely stressful um, situation that that could mean there, there has been no more effective perhaps leadership test than the pandemic um, and and so you know I, I think I think what it's done for my board and for our members is it's reaffirmed their commitment to the vision mission and values of who they are right that you you have to be integ- integrous you know you have to have a, a, a strong 
value system. You, you have to be a great leader. You want to be a role model for others. You have to have a commitment to lifelong learning, and you have to be an advocate for diversity and inclusion. Uh, one thing that's also true, right, is that we've seen disparities of a whole new order uh, emerge during the pandemic. So I think that's that's important. You know, our organization, like a lot of organizations, went through the same kind of journey in uh, the respond, recover, reimagine journey. Uh, now we're about kind of hard, what have we learned that we want to hardwire? We actually have changed the tenure requirement for our fellow. For those of you who are listening, you no longer need three years of membership. You need one year. You still need five years of management experience. You still need a master's degree. Uh, but again, we're, we're trying to strike the balance between what are those things that are core to us? Uh, you know, we still think it's important that people be board certified, but where are the things that we can open up and give people that we may not have been able to touch before in face-to-face -face new opportunities? We just had our Congress on healthcare leadership and normally in a face-to-face -face event, we would have had 4,200 people. And this year we did it all virtual, 120 hours of continuing education. And we were able to serve over 9,200. So, you know, it's amazing uh, that there are silver linings. Now, we're compromising the intimacy of our relationships, which, you know, is also very true to ACHE, you know, the network itself. But again, you know, I, I do think there are benefits, too. And I think the trick for any association going forward will be how to balance the great things that we've learned and and being able to provide more services to members with the things that perhaps we should not compromise around um, that really are core to leading. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I think any organization that's not having that conversation right now uh, yeah. is, is, is in trouble. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, because I mean, look, I mean, that's the thing about a couple of things. And then I'll ask you the final question is that I've observed is you want to know the caliber of someone's leadership, watch her or him under stress. Absolutely. And, and you want to get stuff done uh, within an organization. Look, we are, we're both, you know, we have organizations that have been around a long time, and sometimes it takes time, right? Sometimes organizations move slower than we would like. In a crisis, however, opportunity you know, for more dramatic action does present itself. And I think that's true whether you're a CEO of a larger organization or whether you're leading a team. It does make things really, it can bring things into clarity pretty quickly. Absolutely. Completely agree. So let me ask you the final question. It's a question I stole it from a, a colleague in front of mine called Dave Stakoviak, who does a podcast called Coaching for Leaders. I am curious, what's something you've changed your mind about, Deborah, recently? Actually, you just mentioned it. And, you know, healthcare is not known to change quickly, right? These are, the ecosystem of healthcare is enormously complex. We have our own vocabulary. We have our own ways of doing things. You know, the the journey within the system is not always clear for people uh, that we're serving. There are costs, quality, and access issues that you know. Since I've been in healthcare, which is quite some time, Randy, mm -hmm. those issues we still we've made progress and great progress, but we haven't really solved for any of them. So the you know everybody talks about the complexity of healthcare and the complexity of of the work, but I think we've seen healthcare move tremendously quickly, in some cases at a lightning pace. I mean, I've I've heard from my leaders that. They're making decisions, you know, 
on the spot that they never thought they would make before, right? And it's simply because they have to. They have to in order to get the work done. So I think what what I've changed my mind about is how quickly and how fast the environment, you know, maybe maybe we're just a little too biased in thinking our paradigms can change. And now we have flipped our paradigms. Um, so I'm hoping that leaders will hard, hardwire those changes so, so that we can continue on this path of moving forward um, to help uh, not only the vulnerable, but to keep people out of the institutions and, and fight for wellness. So I'm optimistic about the future. I, I really am. Despite the losses, despite the, the tragedies and all the things we hear about, which is heartbreaking. But I do feel optimistic about the future, and it's mostly because of the people in it. And that's your members and my members and a whole lot of other people. Mm, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Deborah. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you, I appreciate all you do, and thank you to you and your organization and all of your members. Take care. Thanks again for joining us today, Deborah. That was an absolutely fascinating conversation. And thank you, listeners, for joining us as well. If you like what you're hearing, please tell your friends, tell your colleagues to check out Moving the Needle. Until the next time, please take care of yourselves.